Hello again, everyone. We'll be getting underway momentarily. All right, you pitiful submitted sad sacks, I sprout and listen up. I'm your commanding officer, General Knowledge, and it's my job to turn you mealy mouth meatheads into a crack squadron of cranium commandos. I need to take one more cell count. Roger, we're standing by. Now, I know this sounds truly remarkable, but that's my dad. <laughs> Bravo 229er, are you ready to initiate launch? That is affirmative control. All systems go. Begin initial reduction sequence. Reduction sequence begun. W Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello. And this is show number 227 for the week of June 19th, 2011. In our continuing Epcot retrospective series, we're going to step back in time and inside the gold dome of the Wonders of Life Pavilion. We'll explore its origins, original concepts that never came to be, and changes throughout the years. We'll also take a closer look at not only the exhibits inside, but its attractions, such as Body Wars, Cranium Command, and The Making of Me. It's a look back in time and forward as we explore what may become of the Future World venue. I'll have some announcements and then play some of your voicemails at the end of the show, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Be sure and visit the website at wdwradio.com for all of our back episodes, show notes, blog, discussion forums, videos, and lots more, including the WDW Radio store, where you can purchase my Walt Disney World trivia books and audio guides to Walt Disney World. Be sure and subscribe to the show in iTunes, and while you're there, download the free WDW Radio app and the all-new Walt Disney World trivia app with more than 750 multiple-choice questions, descriptive answers, and hundreds of did-you-know facts and figures. Also, be sure and join us live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for the WDW Newscast, live video broadcast and interactive chat, and you can also get together with other Disney fans at our Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and other Disney events throughout the year. You can find out more over at DisneyMeets.com. And for more information, updates, and to follow along with everything that's going on, you can follow me over on Twitter. I am at Lou Mangiello. And join the WDW Radio page at Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. Epcot was always set to be the heart of Walt Disney World. In fact, the most, the most exciting, exciting and by far the, the, most far, the most important part of our Florida project. In fact, the heart of everything we'll be doing in Disney World will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Epcot will always be a showcase to the world for the ingenuity and imagination of American free enterprise. 
But as plans for Epcot developed and concepts changed and evolved and moved around quite a bit, but like all great ideas at Disney, the good ones never died. And an original look at the footprint for Epcot was radically different from what opened on October 1st, 1982 and what would come in the years that followed. And in our continuing Epcot retrospective series, where we look back on early Epcot Center, its changes, stories, and history, we're going to take detailed looks at the pavilion. And this week, we're going to visit one that truly requires a trip aboard the Wayback Machine as we enter the Golden Dome of the Wonders of Life. And joining me once again is a man who loves his Disney history and explores it in depth both on his blog at the Main Street Gazette and as a regular contributor to Celebrations Magazine, he is Ryan Wilson. Ryan, welcome back, buddy. It's great to be back. It's been way too long since we've way gone too back long. in time and, and visited Walt Disney World as we like to do sort of Walt Disney World in the old days. Yeah, I think I hit the, the Wayback Machine for a trip on my own, and now I'm finally back. <laughs> well, it's good because uh, I missed sort of being able to go through and explore these Epcot pavilions in detail. And, you know, Wonders of Life is interesting. It sits alongside a lot of other pavilions like World of Motion, Horizons, even like the land, Imagination, Communicore, in a smaller way, kind of Spaceship Earth, Universe of Energy, all of which have gone undergone changes, some small, some large, and others uh, that have been completely closed or even demolished. And you know, while Walt never wanted to build a museum, Epcot certainly, certainly not an exception there. But it's gone through a lot of changes since its early concepts and certainly over the last couple of decades. Definitely has. And, and Wonder's Life is almost the epitome of that when you consider the ideas they had when they started and what we ended up getting. And the really, in the history of Epcot Center, the short lifespan the pavilion had. Yeah, and it's it's, like you said, it's interesting because... There were always plans, you know, when Epcot was first uh, announced and even before so, there were always plans for a pavilion based on the human body. And like a lot of the pavilions, it went through a lot of different designs and concepts, uh, location. If you remember, at one point, there was actually a sign uh, for, you know, the future site of uh, this human body pavilion was going to be in between the land and the seas. And it actually said, take the ride of your life, explore the human body on an incredible journey within. We'll hear that later on. Uh, and the, the building shape was different. At one point it was square. It was a series of connected bubbles. Obviously the location changed, the size changed. Uh, but like I said, you know, those good ideas, those good sort of core concepts never change. And that hum human body pavilion uh, obviously came to be, albeit not sort of as part of phase one of Epcot. No, you did. You, you moved away from this almost hospital-like building or this carousel progress type building. And it was. It was originally set over in Future World West with the more fluid, more natural sciences. And it it's almost seems out of place to put it with the harsher sciences of energy, transportation. But that's where it ended up its spot was right between Universe of Energy and Horizons. Yeah, it's true because obviously, you know, there's, there's sort of that distinction between Epcot East, uh, Future World East and West and what goes where. And you're right. It almost seemed like it would be more, pun intended, natural for it to be on the opposite side. Absolutely, yeah. It, it, you know, the human body is not a, you know, it is a machine, and that's where it, it kind of fits into the to the east. Uh, at the same time, it's always in, it's always fluid, it's always moving, always changing, 
and that kind of fits in with the West. So it, it really was kind of a paradox as to where to put this pavilion. Yeah, and even going back to uh, early promotional films for WED, back as, as early as 1978, they talked about this life and health pavilion. But like you said, it, it's not so much as the human body as a machine, but it's sort of this concept of personal wellness and personal fitness. And that's really what sort of wonders of life, sort of the, the overriding theme really came to be. Uh, but some of those early concepts were very well flushed out and very well thought out and sort of radically different, again, from what we had. Uh, although we still sort of have this central building with two sort of a side buildings to it, uh, it was very different. And again, we talked about sort of that uh, incredible journey within was going to be a, an integral part of some of these original concepts of the wonders of life. Definitely. And you will see how the hints of what is to come with when we get to the final pavilion, but they put together this advisory board back in the 70s to look into this and they had people from pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies, the medical field, and they had a hard time deciding where they were going to go with it until they came to this idea of the human body as wellness and the health. Yeah, and you know, we hear over time and we see, uh, thanks to books and things like D23 and the archives, showing us some of that early concept art that for the most part we had never gotten a chance to see early on. And the concepts for this original health and wellness pavilion were very different, but again, very much there was a plan and this plan sort of had this central uh, circular building where you'd enter through this portal with waterfalls on either side. It was very sort of, like you said, natural, very free flowing. And inside, it sort of followed this hub and spoke idea with different exhibits off of the main circle. And it was a beautiful two-story building, very, very elegant inside. It had a giant staircase in the center, these globe chandeliers, a lot of interactive exhibits. But it was sort of like a carnival of the human body. And one of the centerpieces of it, because there was going to be many aspects to it, was a dark ride. It was going to be this dark ride called... The, the Incredible Journey Within, which was going to be this ride th in three dimensions through the human body. Originally, they thought about uh, sort of using an Omnimover system, and you could see this concept art where you go through uh, the heart, and there's veins and arteries, and you go through the brain. Then they changed it to sort of a, uh, a boat-like or a three-row type vehicle. Um, we never got The Incredible Journey, but sort of keep that in the back of your mind for what we eventually get. Yeah, there was the idea was great, you know, to move through the body to to see these different elements, but then the complexities of getting a 30-foot-tall mechanical heart to beat regularly, day in, day out. Just the science wasn't there yet, the engineering wasn't there yet, and so that was one of those pieces of you know the great midway of life that kind of got shelved. Well, and but this is where you know, and I think about things like um, you know, I think about Liberty Square and sort of how that that started out with the idea for. Liberty Street and Edison Square, and the technology wasn't quite there sometimes, and, and Walt and the Imagineers couldn't make it happen, but because of that, you maybe get something better later on. I think that same thing might have occurred here. Uh, there were also a lot of interactive exhibits, and there were two shows as well. One of them was going to be called The Head Trip. Um, you could tell this is the, <laughs> the 80s with a name like that, uh, which was a tour of the brain with a pilot, Again, sounds familiar. And there was a sort of this little guy with a winged helmet in this concept art and models that they had built. But really, there was going to be three audio animatronics. One 
would represent emotions, one intellect, another one sort of the nervous system. And these would be our guides through the brain, each in front of this portal or this window. Again, keep in mind that idea as we talk forward. And something else called tooth follies, which was going to make you sort of sit inside of a giant mouth. Uh, this was off that center corridor as well. They sort of share, shared uh, a central corridor. If you went to the left, you went to head trip, you go to the right, you go to tooth follies. Uh, you know, a lot of these concepts don't come to be in that original format, but obviously those good ideas are brought forward uh, later on. Right. If you think about the tooth follies, is obviously going to be a, a comedic type of play. And we'll get in you. Know, we'll get something similar to that down the line. The head trip, this whole theater immersive, immersive experience inside of inside of a human head. I wonder what that sounds like. <laughs> there was even a, a multimedia, you know, birth to golden years kind of presentation that they were thinking about called the joy of living, which you know is some foreshadowing. Right, and and there were a lot of other little exhibits too. There was something like a sensory maze, where uh, sort of like a giant hedge maze that helps you explore the five human senses. And while that original concept in design and the models, obviously, that they built, you saw how far along they were, didn't make it to the final concept. They did extract a lot of those elements from the 1978 film and concepts into what ended up becoming the uh, Wonders of Life pavilion. And uh, it's sort of that main central with the exhibits all around. But it, it's one thing that I think a lot of people sometimes maybe didn't get when they first went in. They really did sort of carry forward that idea of a midway theme, this sort of carnival-like atmosphere, this fitness fairground and this futuristic circus tent, like you said, to sort of celebrate the joys of life. Yeah, and that was the concept that carried over was they wanted this – they originally titled it The Midway of Life, and you see this the concept art, and it almost looks very – you know, old world fair with the steel rods and like almost glass ceilings and little exhibits everywhere. And then, you know, step forward to 1989 when we get to the Wonders of Life Pavilion. And it was, they, they kept that theme with a futuristic type tent, circus tent with all the little sideshows and all the little exhibits, you know, scattered throughout the pavilion. And again, they sort of merge those three audio animatronic shows into the singular attraction called Cranium Command. It sounds a little bit better than Head Trip, I think. Um, <laughs> We get a single pilot called Buzzy, although he was originally going to be called Captain Cortex. Um, I sort of want to use my superhero voice when I say that. Um, and incredible, the incredible journey obviously becomes Body Wars. And this is what I was referring to, Ryan, as far as the technology of having that 30-foot you know, high mechanical uh, animatronic beating heart. In 1984... In the UK, they develop these rediffusion flight simulators, and WED, Walt Disney Imagineering, starts buying these up when Lucas, at the time, happened to be collaborating on a Star Wars-themed attraction. And if you remember the film, and I actually love this movie, Inner Space, with Martin mm -hmm. Short and Dennis Quaid, the idea of using that flight simulator vehicle to now immerse you uh, in sort of a 70-millimeter film motion simulator attraction the technology catches up with the idea. Yes, and, and thank, thank you, Star Wars, once again. You gave us something <laughs> else. Uh, but it was. They hit this from this film, and they told, you know, Wed, they told the Imagineers to start making models that they could film through, make some CGI effects, everything to put a film together because they were taking, you know, star, star tours from out in the galaxy and putting it inside your body. See, is Star Tours, really, it was the answer to... 
everything. <laughs> yes, everything I learned, I, everything I ever needed to know, I learned from Star Wars. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, Wonders of Life is like we said; it's not uh, it's not ready for prime time. It's not an opening day attraction. They do announce it on June seventeenth, nineteen eighty seven. They break ground February of the following year. Goofy, speaking of foreshadowing. He is goofy about health, and he is there for the groundbreaking. We'll hear about that a little bit later on. And uh, about a year and a half later, on October 19th, uh, 1989, the film opens. Making of Me, the film doesn't open for about 11 days later on October 30th. They dedicate the, the pavilion on November 2nd, 1989. And the mission of the film, like you said, is to celebrate the joy of life. Absolutely, and and they went all out on this. You know, it's a hundred million dollar pavilion, a hundred thousand square feet. The dome is sixty feet tall. It, it, they they wanted you to know that the human body was worth cherishing and worth building upon in in every aspect. And I like the concept of this dome. Again, it's not exactly what they had designed, but there still is this giant dome with these. With the Body War Theater, the main theater, and then another sort of support wing off uh, hanging off the back of it. So there really are sort of four buildings that make up the Body Wars Pavilion. And interesting, too, like the Land Pavilion, uh, love it or hate it, you actually enter on the second level and sort of walk your way down inside uh, inside the dome itself. Yeah, it's, a, it's another one of those exercises. you gotta you got to work to get to the entertainment. Bummer, man. When you have to get your sore and fast pass and then run... <laughs> 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 but at least it's air conditioned. So yeah, you um, you you come in on the second level and you would walk down ramps on either side, and the pavilion still kind of had that hub and spoke in the middle. There were three theaters, uh, and again, it, it carried over that idea of the fair. There was fair tents, there was hanging flags, very very brightly colored, and in the center, around sort of that central hub, were the three theaters: Goofy Mouth Health, the Anacomical Players and the making of me and do you remember this this, they had a giant mobile hanging from the center these blue and green circles hanging from the ceiling Mm -hmm. yeah and that one little porthole right at the top with like i think it was like three little squares that were letting in some natural light exactly uh we didn't mention actually too that the uh the reason why this pavilion got built like all of disneyland like all of epcot center was because of sponsorships, and MetLife was the sponsor. And I remember that because I remember seeing the little, they had a little MetLife blimp flying over the te- the <laughs> tents that used to say, Get Met, It Pays on the side. And, and we also neglected, and, and shame on us, we forgot to mention the Tower of Life, the double helix, you know, DNA outside that was 76 feet tall. It was 25 metric tons, and it was, because it was in Florida, built to withstand 95 mile per hour winds. <laughs> Like regular DNA, of course. Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> so let's um, let's talk about some of the things that were in there, and let's talk about maybe some of these uh, secondary attractions before we get to what I kind of considered the big three. And in that center was Goofy about health, and it's sort of an open, not open air, it had a, a closed roof, but it was sort of an open-ended theater. There were 100 seats in there, and as you approached it, you could see it had this sort of cartoony-like city facade there was a pharmacy a garage a market with all these tv screens on it and this attraction this show was all about energy or human energy uh eating the right foods getting the right amount of rest all the things that obviously i never paid attention to (laughs) um and goofy was the star goofy was about health and 
As the sign uh, on top of the hotel said, uh, it, it went from Ritz to the pits because it sort of followed the pattern of Goofy uh, living a very unhealthy life and then going on to exercising and eating properly and how that changed his energy levels. Right, and, and it did. It's that the cityscape in this amphitheater and you had all these clips from you know vintage you know goofy cartoons that had been put in and it was great the way they set the city and the TV screens were actually the windows into these different places, the garage or his house or the pharmacy, whichever one he needed to be in at that moment. And yeah, it was his you know fall and then rise back to good health. And I remember the uh, the unhealthy living blues, and <laughs> I, I haven't been able to find out who sang it, but correct me if I'm wrong. He sounds a lot like Sunny Eclipse. He does sound a lot like Sunny Eclipse. You're right. So uh, if Sunny Eclipse, if you're out there, please let us know if that was you uh, singing the unhealthy living blues. And although this this had sort of uh, continuing showtimes, uh, you know, would let you know 10 minutes to the next show, guests could kind of come in and out whenever they wanted. So if it wasn't for you, it was very easy to go in and out and leave. Or if, you know, mom wanted to wait for you while you're on Body Wars, she could kind of sit there and watch part of the show and then leave whenever. And because there were no sort of live actors in it, you didn't have to worry about insulting anybody. No, and I can remember my parents using the cartoons as, you know, a way to get us to just calm down for just a few minutes. <laughs> they could catch their breath before we lugged them back up the ramps, down the hill to, you know, if it was my vote, it was probably Horizons. Probably. And I remember, too, uh, unlike Goofy Bad Health, on the opposite side, you know, sort of right next to it, were the anatomical players. And this was on very different. It was a very live, it was an improv group, and they did all these kind of skits about health and exercise and nutrition. And there was sort of a, a pre-show with, with, I remember Art being the host. Um, and remember the guys wearing ba- really bad purple, pink, and green. Oh, yeah. And the jackets. Running suits and Reebok yeah. high tops. They oh, like and me, did not on top very of it, much. Like space suits and this whole <laughs> frost and space routine. Yeah, it was, it, it was something else. To, it was something to behold, that's for sure. It's, um, you know, like something else we're going to talk about, it, it locked itself firmly in, in that late 80s period of time, early 90s. Uh, they did skits about things like the People's Court and scenes like Star Trek. And there was Mr. Swami River, who was a magician. Uh, but the good thing was it also had a lot of audience engagement as well, a lot of audience participation. Right. And they would, they would pull people out of the audience. They would take the items from members of the audience when they were playing with the Swami. Uh, they they wanted to keep you engaged, and it was it was fun. It was I mean I can remember laughing a, a good bit at that. Probably I didn't get all the jokes because you know they could get a little off key a little, but it it didn't survive because I as late as the rest of the pavilion I think because of its attraction to that late '80s time period. Well, if you thought the anatomical players were funny, you would have had a laugh riot at the making of me, <laughs> the third theater in the center. Um, very different, appropriately so. It was enclosed. We're going to talk about this in depth a little bit later on because I, I want to really give it its due and talk about it because I think it was such an interesting choice to include in a theme park. Uh, but but going around the rest of the interior of the pavilion, there was it was really sort of prevailed by interactive exhibits, uh, one of which were the interactive bikes, which are right off to the left, it sort of lets you sit in a kind of a recumbent bike and uh, 
let's just sort of go through these different courses. Like you were shrunken down and go through a little micro course. You can go through Disneyland. You could also go through the Rolls Bowl Parade. Uh, really, and it would also sort of measure um, how far you've gone, the calories that you've burned. Mine were always zero, uh, <laughs> but sort of wanted to uh, teach you about the benefits of that kind of exercise. Yeah, I can remember thinking it was so funny to make uh, the characters in Disneyland like run around at like four times their pace, but then I was exhausted <laughs> afterwards. Uh, there were other hands-on exhibits like the Coach's Corner. There was something in there called the Met Lifestyle Review. Uh, Frontiers of Medicine had touchscreens. Remember, remember where we are time-wise, late 80, touchscreens, like things that we had seen over in Communicore, you know, that was hot. That was very new technology. So uh, you were able to go on what they call these video voyages, and they had these different kiosks where you can take a look at things like aging and the brain and nervous system and things like that. Absolutely. And then you had the sensory fun house with tons of things like the curious coils where you would touch hot, touch cold and touch one in the middle and it would totally mess with your what you thought was hot or cold. They had the Statue of Liberty where you could reach in and try to feel different pieces of it and try to guess what you were what you were feeling with your hands. Uh, just a, it was a lot of little fun exi- exhibits. Yeah, they, that little sensory maze, that sort of two-section sensory maze, mm-hmm. uh, if you remember the pavilion, they were sort of on either side of the entrance into Cranium Command. Uh, there was a lot of them for uh, eyesight, so you had these um, uh, sort of this column with all these eyeglasses on it, and you'd push the buttons and watch the spirals go around, and then you'd be able to see uh, Alice in Wonderland sort of grow and shrink. You could look through a keyhole and sort of get perspective inside of a room, there was something there called Merlin's Magic Wand. We would look at two words, Abra and Kadabra, and then see one of 10 different pictures in Merlin's Wand. I think for a lot of guests, especially little kids, they probably had no idea the Sword in a Stone version of Merlin. <laughs> um, but they did. They had a lot of tactile things as well. And I vividly remember the hot and cold coils that when you held at the same time gave you a different sensation. Those invisible shapes that you had to try and identify and then they also had audio things as well. Uh, they sort of had these audio antics that created these 3D sound environments. And it, we, we wouldn't be us if we didn't talk about the pure and simple, you know, snack bar. <laughs> it always comes around to food. It has to. Yeah, they had a, uh, a sort of little health food cafe and snacks there. Obviously, I did not eat there very often. <laughs> but uh, you, did, you didn't have beta carotene salad? You know, I, um, I got it so often at home that I just didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to learn from Goofy about health and see what would happen if I had 16 cheeseburgers on every trip. So, <laughs> it's um, a good modest goal. It's a modest exactly. Goal. They also had a small shop there called Well and Goods Limited. It sold some athletic gear and some sports equipment and some logo wear and things like that. Uh, one thing, Ryan, that most guests never got to see were on the upper levels uh, because, like a lot of the pavilions, it had a corporate sponsor. It had some very elaborate corporate offices and lounges for MetLife, uh, all of which carried over that carnival fair type theme. Yeah, and they did. You know, you could see it still in there with the darkened windows. It was very much like the, you know, world of motion. They all had their corporate sponsor pavilions and places to go and, and look at. Yeah, but the uh, sort of the, the cornerstones of this pavilion really, I think, were around the two major attractions, Body Wars and Cranium Command. Again, I also want to talk about the third uh, quote-unquote major show in there, which is The Making of Me. 
But let's start off with Body Wars, because I think for a lot of people, that's the reason why they sort of made it up the winding pathway into and down into the Golden Dome. This was located right on the left-hand side of the entrance. And I think for a lot of people, before you even got on the attraction, one of the things that you noticed was the incredibly beautifully painted mural uh, high up on um, the building's walls. Absolutely. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was Frank Armitage who did that mural, right? If you say so, I buy it. I, let's say let's say that that's who that was. Maybe he did content art, but I, I thought it was his mural. But yeah, you'd see the mural, you'd see the little uh, craft that was you were going to be in flying through the body. Um, and then there were always these, you know, the, the signs telling you about the bays. And it was very, it was almost like very, you know, military meets science, very science fiction. Appropriately enough, partially maybe because the film was directed by Leonard Nimoy, why I'm doing the Vulcan symbol and you can't see me. Obviously, he was Mr. Spock in the television series. He had also directed things like Three Men and a Baby. So he had directing experience beforehand and he was brought in to direct the film. And this is, you know, we, we haven't talked about this with the pavilion yet, but this was really a, a massive a star-studded pavilion. And just in Bollywood Wars alone, you had Elizabeth Shue and Tim Matheson. I, it, you know, and then we'll talk about later some of the others, but it, they really wanted to get big names in there and really get you drawn in. Absolutely. And, you know, the pavilion was, like all the pavilions, uh, incredibly well-researched and important. This was not supposed to be just a fun sort of trip through the human body. They really wanted to be sure that the film was going to be authentic. And as what they did with having consultants for a lot of the aspects of the pavilion, they had teams of advisors come in about the teaching of medicine and the practice of medicine to make sure the film was going to be accurate in its portrayal uh, in both how the, the information was presented and then what you were actually seeing and hearing about on screen uh, and in the audio track as well. Right. Not only from what you're seeing in the human body and when you're when you're traveling through the the heart, the lungs, the brain, but even even to the, down to the clothing that you saw the uh, the study the you know, the patients and the medical crew on the outside world before you were shrunk down was was done in minute detail to make sure they had everything right. And as with all good Disney attractions, they built a storyline around it as well that you were in this Met Lab M E T. But it wasn't met as in met life. It was met as in miniaturized exploration technologies. And like you said, it's sort of that combination of research lab and science fiction as you go through in the queue, this level one and two dermatopic purification screenings. And you sort of enter that in the queue and you start getting immersed into the story uh, in this actual research lab that they set up for you very early on. Hello everyone, my name is Jane and I'm your orientation officer. My job is to familiarize you with the process of miniaturization. You'll be traveling in our ultra-comfortable LGS-250 body probe vehicle. This ship is one of the newest in our fleet and weighs approximately 26 tons. Yeah, and you have things like... The different bays are supposed to, supposedly supposed to have different flights, like Zulu 714, Sierra 657, and they're, they're posted above. So in, you're obviously supposed to be aboard aboard the Bravo 229er. And when you get there, you, it's yeah, you've gone through all these scanners, you've seen all these procedures, 
and even the term bay, you know, it's very reminiscent of a medical bay, something that you would think in terms of, of medical sciences. Yeah, they do a, a really good job of explaining the storyline in detail. You know, the queue that you go through, you meet your orientation officer, the oh-so-very-cute but 90s-looking Jane. She explains the process of miniaturization. They sort of make up this great storyline and show you examples and explain to you how and why it's going to work, how you're going to be shrunk down to the something that's smaller than the point of a pin, weigh less than a drop of water, really be the size of a single human cell, and even give a history. She sort of analogizes it to space travel, how they started with unmanned vehicles, and now they have all these different probes with medical teams that go in. And, oh, by the way, now they're taking along guests, and we can kind of go in with them. Uh, we meet Dr. Fletcher, who's this chief scientist, and this is where they start to explain... And kids, you could always get a little bit of education with your entertainment at Epcot Center about white blood cells. And they even show you a sample uh, insertion where they put somebody in the epidermal layer um, of somebody. And uh, really sorts of, 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 I think Ryan does a great job of setting it up so you completely understand where you are and what you're going and what is supposed to be happening to you according to story. Absolutely. You know, they, they want to make sure you understand the different terminology so that it, you're not trying to play catch up in the middle of, you know, a, a rollicking, you know, uh, simulator. And so you get in, you're going to be below the epidermis layer. But of course, as all things Disney, something goes horribly awry. Never. never. But listen, before we talk about things that go awry, let's talk about things they did right. Like casting Elizabeth Shue, Karate Kid baby, as Dr. Yes. Cynthia Lair. Um, she is, uh, we see her first on screen. She's uh, seeing how white blood cells affect the body. But again, you talked about sort of this star sort of thing. Put, put it in context. Put it in its place and time. Elizabeth Shue, in addition to being very cute in a lot of very popular movies. Same thing with our pilot, Captain Braddock, who's Tim Matheson. You may remember him from such films as Animal House. Ryan, I think this situation absolutely requires a futile and stupid gesture to be done on somebody's part, and we're just the guys to do it. Love Animal House. He's right. You're right. We got to do something. Absolutely. You know what we got to do? Toga party. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. So, but again, it, we're sort of uh, like other attractions we've talked about in the past, like Timekeeper and things like that. By casting some of these people, it definitely sort of locks the attraction into a certain place in time, maybe to its benefit at a certain point, possibly to its detriment decades later. Does that potentially date some of these things in that they become less relevant or these actors maybe are not as, as well-known or popular? And, and even less so with the actors and actresses, maybe their hairstyles are the ones that are going to get us in the end. Um, in the future, we're all going to look like that and wear those cool uniforms. With the, with the red and blue kind of stripes or shoulder pads. and Listen, yeah. man, I am still hoping that in the very near future, all the girls dress like Erin Gray from Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So. I, I don't have a problem <laughs> in the world with that. I didn't get out much. It's obviously, I watched a lot of TV when I was younger. <laughs> but, it, it, but going back to Braddock, you can even see like his brash nature foreshadowed with the fact that he has like this little, I believe it was a heart hanging down in the middle of his cockpit. Yeah, but uh, the uh, so let's sort of sort of get into the story as to where it took us. Now, re remember, this is very much like, including sort of the, the loading area, like getting on a Star Tours vehicle. It's the exact same kind of motion simulator 
with the 40 seats inside. Uh, so you get on, and according to story, we're zapped with this laser, and we're miniaturized, and we're immersed into the body just under the skin in the finger. And we find Dr. Lair with a splinter and the white blood cells. And, uh, you know, I, I always thought, Ryan, that this was so cool in just how they had visualized what it would look like uh, if we were that size. And then to really take advantage of the motion simulator vehicle, you're sucked into a capillary and we follow her into now. Sort of imagine Star Tours, like you said, inside the human body. We get into the heart. Uh, you know, we, we, so we get sucked into the lungs and sort of that breathing motion, again, that you can't see me doing here, um, that you felt really took advantage. And I think for a lot of guests, it was pretty exhilarating. And you had mentioned before, a lot of it was even the sound effects. You know, you had this whole kind of sound effect with the breathing to, to uh, and as you flew, you know, up and down and pushed out and finally got through there, you, you would find Lair, she was being attacked by white blood cells and we'd have to fire a laser to get her free and then to get her back on board the ship. But like you said, because we use a laser, something hardly goes wrong and we don't have enough energy to escape. However, will we get out? Well, that can't be good. Our instruments show you down to half power. I know, we lost a fuel cell. Gotta get out on the next beat. You're heading for the lungs, Captain. Air current's extremely hazardous. I have to chance it. Ryan, can you read me? I'm in the lungs. I've got you in my sight, Doctor. Your fuel's running low. You're down to quarter power. You know, it, it was one of those things, like, in the, in the far side, which, if you're thinking of Star Tours, it's where you always see R2-D2 in that far right panel. You could watch as the ride was going on. Power was just dropping, I mean, like a rock. It was just going down, going down. We lose fuel cells, and, you know, Lair comes up with the brilliant idea of we can get power from the brain. Right, so we, in order we have to get back to the brain again, we pass through the heart, and then we use a heartbeat to sort of shoot us out, a la hyperspace, uh, we make it up into the cerebral artery, we get just above the brain, we get into the spinal fluid, and of course we're able to get extracted. Not only do we break every regulation in the book, Ryan Wilson, <laughs> but it's the sp most spectacular mission this place has ever seen. Do you realize what we just did? I'll tell you what you did. You broke every regulation in the book. Control, we were the first to go through the heart, lungs, and brain. You also managed to pull off the most spectacular mission this place has ever seen. Congratulations. Thank you, Control. That's right. We were the first to successfully navigate through the heart, lungs, and brain. So was this one of those, uh, was this a must-do for you, or was this one that potentially maybe mom uh, maybe mom and dad couldn't handle? It was a little, got them a little bit too queasy? Yeah, it was more like my sister had, had got a little too queasy, and there were plenty of times I was like, okay, I'm all right with not seeing this, because to me it, it was start towards light. And I wanted my Star Tours. And I think for a lot of people, I think that they found either because of the environment that they were in, sort of that I, that more of a claustrophobic sense. I always sort of heard from people that this is the one that they weren't as comfortable in as maybe they might have been in Star Tours. Again, exact same type of vehicle, uh, but maybe either because of the programming of the motion or mm -hmm. that sense of being in such an, an enclosed space. Uh, this is one that I knew a lot of people, they could handle Star Tours, but maybe not Body Wars. Yeah, they, you know, they called it the more aggressive, you know, they, they thought the movements were a little bit more jerky. Uh, to me, I think if there was anything, it was probably you know, 
maybe the the more squeamish nature of you know, all the blood, the 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 veins that could that could maybe get to a person who who maybe is not so strong of constitution. Well, if if body wars was a little bit too harsh for you, that's okay because you can go on the opposite side of the pavilion and ha- enter into Cranium Command, which is undergoing a special engagement in a 200-seat theater better known as a recruitment center like some of the other shows constantly running uh, like Country Bear. A show would end, it would let you know five, ten minutes from now uh, a show is coming. And this is one where it was all about a great experience, very unique sort of uh, show system, but a lot of humor even as you were out in the queue. Absolutely. I was just talking about the posters. You had you know, brain benders, cranium calisthenics, uh, my favorite was the Hall of Brains because I'm sure, as you know, the, there was Walt Disney's brain on there. And inside it, of course, was was the shape of a, a hidden Mickey. Absolutely. Uh, y- you had all these great little bulletin boards talking about Einstein's birthday. Uh, just it, it, There was so much to see and do before you even got into the real pre-show, the real pre-film to the, to the show. That it kept you entertained for, for the, you know, a couple of minutes before you could start the show. Yeah, and if you did pay attention and you looked at a lot of the details on the cork boards and those brain benders and the, the jokes like, today is Einstein's birthday, take it relatively easy. Um, <laughs> you'd see that it really was meant to be sort of like an armed forces recruiting center. But here, the posters invited you to see the world, learn the latest technology, earn good pay, and enjoy thrilling adventures as a cranium commando. That's right. General knowledge wants you. General knowledge wants you. They show you the medals of honor that you could potentially receive. And in that pre-show movie, it very much, obviously it was an animated film, very much had that sort of 50s wartime bomber jacket kind of feel to it. Yeah, you start out with the recruits, and they're talking about the the you know, the new general who's going to be a pushover, and then the wall comes down, and all heck breaks loose. And one of the things here that I think kind of bears mentioning, because I sort of fell into the trap too, but one of the myths was that your, your general was Robin Williams. If you listen to the soundtrack, it very much sounds like uh, a very excited late 80s Robin Williams. But it's actually Corey Burton who voiced many, many attractions, uh, narrated on a lot of uh, Disney films and DVDs, has an extensive, extensive resume. Um, but if you listen and sort of listen with your eyes closed, you kind of could get the sense, and I think a lot of people believed uh, incorrectly that it was Robin Williams. I, I thought that personally for, for a long, long time. And it was actually a couple of months ago when we started talking about this segment, I was looking at it, I'm like, I was like, really, it's Corey Burton? And I would close my eyes and I'd listen and I'm like, I was like, I'll be darned, it is. And But he was only one of a huge cast for this for this uh, program. Absolutely. And, and sort of in that pre-show, um, it really is starting to set the stage. It's talking to you about the human brain and sort of that division of the right side, the creative, emotional side, the left, the more analytical, linear side. Uh, and the recruitment of a lot of these newbies. And there's some great references in the pre-show where he, where he yells at one of them and says, where do you think you are, son? Disney World, this is not a spectator sport. And 
again, references to time. There's a reference to Ernest P. Worrell, who was the character played by Jim Varney, um, who also actually appeared in a lot of uh, a bunch of Disney films at the time. Remember Ernest Goes to Splash Mountain? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, oh, you, you and I are the only two who remember Ernest Goes to Splash I know, Mountain. I know. Him, Again, right? we did not get out or date very much. But anyway, no. uh, you finally get into the theater where the motto is, it's all about use your head, don't lose your head. And the theater is unique in that it's meant to look like a representation of inside the human head, as if you were sitting sort of on the spinal column and looking out through the eyes. So the video displays which were identical, were a left and right eye, and then there were additional displays above and below the audio-animatronic Buzzy, who was sitting in this seat that was articulated, so he could move around, he could look out the eyes, and also look back at us. Right, and, and the other view screens were for the other, the other parts of the body that are going to show up, the left brain, right brain, brain the stomach, the adrenal glands, uh, the heart. And all those characters and all those uh, organs were, like you said, it was a who's who of late 80s comedy. Uh, The logical left brain was Charles Grodin. The sort of funny, wacky right brain was John Lovitz. The stomach was George Went from Cheers. Uh, The bladder was Jeff Doucette. The the freaking out adrenal gland was appropriately Ah! enough... Bobcat Goldthwait. I I assume that was your Bobcat Goldthwait. That was, that was as good as I could do. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you do your best Hans and Franz representing Dana Carvey and Kevin Nealon, who are the hearts left and right ventricles, I'll be very, very impressed. We're here to pump you up. And you know nobody under the age of 30 knows what that is. So. I know. Happy party, Captain. We have just skipped the beat. Yeah, what is going on up there? She's beautiful. Uh, the hypothalamus was voiced by Kirk Wise. That sort of rep- regulates the um, the bodily function. Uh, he was sort of represented by audio animatronics. And again, too, like, you know, things were trying. These characters and these actors so very much locked this, possibly to its detriment, into a certain time. Absolutely. If nothing else than using Hans and Franz, right. you, you, had, you had sealed yourself with these 80s, you know, wonderful comedians but very much set in the 80s but it totally worked and i think it had a great a great story educational story and told in a way that much like the rest of epcot you don't realize that you're learning uh you really are inside this kid and buzzy is your host you know and he sort of go through his normal day he gets up he forgets to have breakfast he's late for school he meets the cute girl annie who's played by natalie gregory he gets in fight into a fight with a bullies tad and rico nice names mom and dad uh they get he gets sent to the principal he thanks the girl they kiss the organs get all crazy um and along the way we learn about all the organs functions how they react how they address all the different problems that the boy is facing Right, and how you're supposed to use use your head, not lose your head, back to the, the tagline, to, to control your body's functions because they don't know what's going on. You know? and, and the critical part to this story was if they had been a day in the life of our brains, it's, it's not going to be near as exciting as a day in the life of a teenage boy. Right. They, uh, General Knowledge wanted to give him the most unstable craft in the fleet, the adolescent 12-year-old boy, and, uh, and certainly it was a much more thrilling day than probably you or I had in high school. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah I, I don't think I remember a day quite quite that extreme. You know, and they had the great running joke of if he couldn't pilot this, they were going to put him in the brain of a chicken. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it, um, it it was great because it was a uh, it was a great show that anybody it was accessible to anybody. There wasn't anything dark or scary in there. So again, if Body Wars wasn't for you, if some of the other maybe physical interactive things wasn't weren't for you. Everybody could enjoy uh, Cranium Command, and, and again, a lot of laughs, a lot of great details in there as well. If you get a chance to look for the video up on YouTube, if it's out there, uh, I suggest if you never see it, if you've never seen it, uh, checking it out and watching it. But the third one, Ryan, that I wanted to save for last, um, simply because of how interesting I think it was, was the making of me, and you knew it was interesting because. You know, you, there, look. There's there's warning outside of roller coasters and motion simulators ride, and and you know people with physical problems and pregnant shouldn't ride. But here, a sign said, "Dear guests, the making of me explores the sensitive subjects of human reproduction and birth. The film contains spectacular images of fetal development, as well as live footage of the birth process. We ask that you use discretion." when deciding whether you or your family should view The Making of Me. Thank you. Written by a lawyer. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> and, and it was, I mean, yeah, there, there was humor involved in this show, and there was, you know, some animation, but it was clearly a touchy subject, and they wanted each family to make their own judgment. And even in my family, I can remember, it, it took a couple of years before they were actually, my parents felt comfortable enough to take us in to see this movie. I'm sure my mom grilled a cast member about what was going to be in there <laughs> before she let me in. But, you know, I, I wanted to, to spend a little bit of time because I think it was just so very daring, maybe, of Disney to address that topic. I mean, certainly it's something that could have and should have appropriately been covered in that pavilion. They didn't need to. So to sort of take that stab at... Such a very sensitive topic, uh, I think, was very, very interesting. I can only imagine the internal debates that might have gone on when that was first suggested. Yeah, it was def it was definitely a risk. You know, they, they they had everything else. They could have gone without it. But it is such a critical part to the human experience, to the growing experience, that it, it, it did need its own place in there. And, yeah, the, like you said, the internal dialogues could have been – I'm sure there was – wars fought over this one attraction and, yeah. and then to give it a name like the birth theater yeah i mean interesting to sort of call it the birth theater i, I agree with you um but it's appropriate i mean you know mm -hmm. because the film was about and this is where i think they, they sort of took that extra step it wasn't just about childbirth or sort of the you know the, the where did i come from it went all the way back to like conception and preconception and I think Martin Short was was a good choice here because he adds a sort of goofy comedic element to it. So it sort of takes a little bit of that awkwardness out of it by him starting to sort of sit there and sort of wonder, you know, where did I come from? How how was I created? How was I how did I come to be? Right. And it goes from, you know, his father's birth to his birth in the in the span of of this film and he does, you know, take the edge off, but he had that that other side, that that more straight man side, where he's able to deliver the rest of the you know the other part of the message, the, the which is almost the more critical part, with without the comedic touch. 
And I think a lot of parents were probably happy. They This probably saved them a good birds and bees conversation. <laughs> Go sit in the birth theater, come out in 15 minutes, and then I can address any questions. You if, you, might if you have questions, we'll send you in again. You gonna, go there's back. a cast member out here who can answer anything that you might have. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was sort of a, a great mix of uh, live action and sort of telling the story of how his parents got together, how they spent their life together early on. Uh, short Martin Short obviously played his dad, which was really awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And then they, they, I think, almost out of necessity, have to go on to sort of a wonderfully animated sort of Disney cartoon segment talking about yep. the eggs and, you know, some of the other stuff. It feels <laughs> it feels like that reel that you used to see, you know, in, in anyone under 20 doesn't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> but the old projection films that you'd see in school That's right. with, the, with the very awkward animation of a such a subject. And you're like, and you walk out there going, I have no idea what they I just talked I have taught. no idea what that was. What was that little thing swimming around yeah. over there? Um but they, they look like, and let's just say they look like Hershey Kisses flying around <laughs> on a freeway. I mean, it was like, what are we watching? And I think it 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 had to have been done intentionally, so that yeah. if your kids were not ready for that sort of awkward question or whatnot, um, you can kind of maybe deflect and sort of just talk about it being sort of a, um, you know, a meeting of the egg and the Hershey Kiss or whatever it might be. <laughs> my God, I don't want my kids to grow up. Um, but it does move on to sort of showing. Uh, you know, in in a, in a great way, this development of the fetus and it it sort of finishes off with this live action birth taking place. I don't mean like you know Discovery Channel birth, but you look kind of looking over the mother's shoulder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they do a very good job of. While it is a birthing process, it's it's tastefully done. Um, and at that point, the narration switches to Martin Short's daughter, or the actress playing Martin Short's daughter talking about her father being born, which goes back you know, with the cycle that we started at the beginning. Yeah, and I think they had a great mix of the uh, the different scenes and the different sets and sort of Martin Short sort of taking us along with him, uh, kind of looking back through the looking glass into the classrooms of his parents and then being able to address us directly and sort of say, okay, well, this is, you know, here is on the chalkboard, um, you know, what the differences between a man and a woman are mm-hmm. and sort of outlining it on the chalkboard. It addresses it. It addresses us directly as opposed to sort of making us try and figure out what is going on in the scene. Absolutely. And I, and I can even see this, you know, with my background as an educator for a child who's say, you know, a little bit older, who has a new child, who has a new baby coming along. This is a great way to say, you know, this is where babies come from. You know, right now your baby brother or sister is, you know, the, a fifth of an inch and they look like this you know because it had these great photographs and great images of you know the baby as it grows inside the womb I learned a lot I learned a lot and <laughs> everything I needed to know I learned from Epcot Center yeah that, that's a <laughs> that's, new t-shirt <laughs> that we need we can you and I will do the poster we'll get it we'll get it all squared away and speaking of posters total uber geek I've watched this way too many times moment if you look really carefully uh, there's one scene when Martin Short's mom is pregnant and she's in a movie theater. Movie theater. Mm-hmm. And they're smoking. And they're smoking in the movie theater. And she goes outside. And, and this is obviously the lesson that it's not good for the. Look carefully. The coming attraction poster is for 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yes. Yep. Yes. Is that foreshadowing? Are we going to do that down the line? <laughs> Again, why I never dated very much. Um, <laughs> but uh, the film did not, like the rest of the pavilion, um, 
did not survive, you know, to the very end. At one point, it just was sort of covered up, like in 2007, uh, sort of, don't look here, nothing to see here. Uh, eventually, they 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 end up showing like Disney Vacation Club movies in there, um, and then I think they also showed like the the um, Seasons of the Vine, uh, mm-hmm. which is something they showed over at, at California Adventure. Right. It's this the, I hate to say it, but this is one of those pavilions that had a very slow death, and pieces fell off here, pieces fell off there before they finally just closed the pavilion. Yeah, and, and there were some interesting changes that took place over time you know at one point body the body wars film changed they took out a, a couple of minutes of footage which i didn't understand why those were chosen or why they needed to be removed because there was nothing really inappropriate about it uh and what necessitated that change um at one point they start sort of dismantling it from the outside in the big uh, sort of pink archway that was outside Right. It's removed. They put in these smaller signs. There's a, a cardboard cutout of general knowledge outside and signs telling people, hey, there's there's more going on inside. There's Goofy about health and there's body wars. So come on in and check it out. And then uh, the death knell is sounded on June 1st, 2001, when MetLife pulls the plug and ends its sponsorship. Instantaneously, they start closing all the small exhibits. The frontiers of medicines closed. The bicycles are closed. Uh, the anatomical players became the wonders of laugh. Um, the shop and the cafe get closed. But all the office rooms, all the offices and meeting rooms upstairs still left uh, exactly as they were. Right. And that goes on for a few years. And then on January 4th of 2004, it, it moves into the seasonal status, which means, you know, if, if we're flooded with guests, <laughs> you know, if it's July 4th, we might open this up. The only attraction that ever survived the sort of seasonal thing was Carousel of Progress. Yeah, it's it's made an amazing comeback. It really has. Carousel of Progress continues to like get this rebirth of, of people yeah. that love it. But usually, you know, when Timekeeper went seasonal, it means go check it out fast because yeah. it's uh, because it's going. And you're right. And Horizons two- went seasonal. Yeah. Or- World of Motion went season. Yeah, they all, they all, it was kind of like, okay, if you get here, then this is your chance. Yeah, and some attractions don't even get that courtesy. They just, no. Mr. Toad, you're done. Sorry, <laughs> you're not even going seasonal. Yeah. Um, 2007, they, the sign goes away, the DNA tower goes away, but they open the pavilion up again, sort of, uh, because they start using it for corporate events, for food and wine festival, other special events. Uh, it, it sort of is renamed on maps like the wonders event pavilion or the festival mm. center center yeah but when you went inside if you were a fan of the pavilion it was sad to see uh, especially when they finally painted over the body wars mural mm. uh, again it was beautiful and i and i hope to have a picture to put in the show notes to share with you um the sign was still there but they changed the letters from red to white and it sort of sat there and then eventually uh, they were removed, but if you sort of go into it now, it um, you know some of the facades were there, like the Cranium Command uh, marquee is there without Cranium Command, so they sort of use it as a backdrop for some of the pre- presenters. The physical structures are there, but there's not much else really going on. No, to the the guts have been ripped out of the pavilion. Um, it, yeah, there are there are things like the the sign in front of body wars that used to tell you what bay all the flights were they took out all the bay names but left the the sign up there with just these blank spots uh it, it, 
the theaters are still there, but they keep renaming the theater for whatever event they happen to be hosting at the time. Uh, it, 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 it's, hard to, it's hard to walk in there and not think about once upon a time this was goofy about health or you know, this was Cranium Command. So let me ask you this. If you can't help but think about maybe what once was, let me ask you about what could be. Uh, they've got this pavilion there. Other than cases like Horizons, where they say, you know, we're just tearing the whole thing down. Obviously, mm-hmm. I think there were structural uh, issues there as well. What should happen next? You know, should it stay sort of a life and health pavilion? If so, who should a sponsor be? And these questions are, are not just to you, Ryan, but I want to ask these right. to people who are listening as well. I invite them to come by the comment section over at WDWRadio.com and answer to these questions as well. But I do want to put it to you. If, you know, you are CEO for a day, what do you do with Wonders of Life? You know, I don't know what happens to the pavilion, but the message, the the health and personal responsibility message is something that I think, you know, and I've talked about this in the Gazette and I've ranted about it, you know, all over the place. It's missing in Epcot Center. It was great. You had it, the nutrition with Kitchen Cabaret and with Food Rocks and you had, you know, everything else with with the wonders of life and it's it's missing it's lacking it there's so many medical advancements and so many health advancements that we've made that aren't being talked about in epcot anymore and whether it's in that pavilion or someplace else i think it does warrant a space in in epcot i'd love to see the pavilion return to some you know, some form of you know some form of its former glory uh and for a sponsor you know i don't know hmm I mean, look, I I agree with you. I think that there is certainly an opportunity to showcase future advancements. You know, where are we going? Where ideally do we want want to be? But also, where are we now? You know, what Mm -hmm. are we able to do now that isn't science fiction anymore? It's science fact. I always uh, sort of talk about how, you know, we are approaching Star Trek and in many cases, have bypassed it. You know, your phone is more impressive than a tricorder at this point. <laughs> but medically and scientifically speaking, yeah. uh, learning about our body, learning about, you know, how what we eat and how we take care of ourselves affects us. Uh, things that we can do now, uh, those, you know, maybe swinging a bat and getting coached by somebody over coach's corner isn't what it should be, but more about how to take care of yourself. Um Things you can do on an everyday basis to help yourself and to help your kids. You know, you want you want kids to you know think something's really cool. You know, show them an ultrasound. Show them what they can see. They they can see inside your body with you know that or a CAT scan or an MRI or yeah. There there are some cool things out there that that we even have today that would stun kids and and really really bring the message home. There you go, free CAT scans. Come on, kids, let's go get a CAT scan. <laughs> Free radiation at Epcot Center. (laughs) But, I mean, Disney is taking an initiative with their Magic of Healthy Living um, that Mm -hmm. they showcased earlier in 2011 uh, at the Millennium Village over at Epcot Center. They've got the Disney Channel stars involved. They're trying to make kids understand that it's smart and it's cool to eat healthy. Here's how you can do it. Well, by bringing them into a pavilion where you can do something a little bit more interactive, you can reward them somehow for what they participate in there. Uh, do stuff for the kids and educate the adults as well, too. I still think you can make it that sort of edutainment aspect uh, that you have always had in Epcot, 
But again, because the technology has far surpassed what was there in the late 80s, um, you have have quite an opportunity, I think, and a huge pavilion to do it in. You have the space and... You know, it's a message that's, that's you know foremost in a lot of people's minds now, and it's it's one of the edutainment pieces that does it holds so much water because there's nothing more personal than your own body, and so you're definitely going to going to pique someone's interest with that. And look, you've got four motion simulator vehicles there that don't have to be repurposed for a thrill ride. You've got mission space there. You've got test track mm-hmm. there. You have that simulator that you can bring in any guest. And say, you know what? It's going to be a slow-moving simulation through the human body. And look, kids, this is how smoking affects your lungs. This is yep. how the wrong foods affect your... I'm not a doctor. I mean, I am, <laughs> but I just play one on TV. I don't, whatever. You can take them through an attraction that's not going to get you queasy, that's not going to get you sick, um, but still take advantage of the technology. We see what they did with Star Tours 3D mm-hmm. and how fluid it is and how beautiful that 3D uh, audio and video both is uh, a great opportunity to do it here as well. Absolutely. When you think of things, you know, think of it as like Soren, you, know, you fly, but it's a, gentle, you know, it's a gentle kind of experience. You could totally do that with a human body kind of a, a tour. Soren through Ryan Wilson. There you oh, go. that's a scary, scary thought. <laughs> I'm curious. I would love to be buzzy and go through the brain and see how things are working <laughs> up there. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, um, I think there are a lot of concepts. And look, even if the pavilion had multiple sponsors, you know, think of it sort of an, an old school communicore where you have mm-hmm. exhibits sponsored. You've got, you know, GE can go in there and Siemens and some of these other big medical companies to not sort of try and, you know, you know, MetLife was, was an insurance company promoting it, but you have an opportunity to showcase the technologies that they are introducing how they're working to address, you know, diseases like cancer and things like that um, in a way that's still fun, that make people want to go into the pavilion so that death knell does not have to sound for wonders of life again. Absolutely. Yeah, there, there are there are so many different things and they have it set up like that fair. So why not take advantage of the fair and let everyone have their own little corner? Definitely. And again, I would love to hear from other people, the ideas that they have. You've got you literally have a blank slate. You've got this domed building. You've got a show building where Cranium Command was. You have the simulators for Body Wars. The infrastructure, the framework is there. What would you do with it? Would you still make it a a human body, a, a wonders of lifestyle pavilion? If not, would you do something else? If so, what would it be? And be creative. Uh, tell us what kind of exhibits you'd like to see or what you would do with the things that are in there. I think I would be very, very curious to hear because I'm sure people, Ryan, who have walked by, have seen the empty building and said, you know, what I would love to see there would be X. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sure. So, uh, Ryan, tell them where they can find out more about all the goodness that is Ryan P. Wilson. Oh, you can find me at the Main Street Gazette. That's mainstgazette.com. Uh, I also have articles in celebration on a pretty regular basis, so you can find stuff there too. I noticed you laughed when you said pretty regular. <laughs> Your it, articles it, come in late like mine. That's okay. <laughs> no, I think there's a backlog right now. I think there's a couple sitting in there. Cool. It's all good stuff. And definitely go check out Main Street Gazette. You pump out incredible content 
on a regular basis, and I know how hard that is to do, so I applaud you. You've been doing it for years, and you are one of the very best, my friends. I will certainly put a link to that in the show notes. you got to come back. We've got to hit the Wayback Machine again. We've got more pavilions in Epcot Center, and uh, maybe we'll take a trip to Walt Disney World uh, low so many decades ago as we approach Walt Disney World's 40th anniversary this year. Sounds like a plan. Awesome, buddy. Thanks again. No problem. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. Don't forget that I want to hear from you. You can post your comments about this week's show in the show notes over at www.radio.com. You can also email me directly at lou at www.radio.com or call the voicemail toll-free at 888-703-2171. Be sure when you stop by the website, you check out the WW Radio store where I have signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books and the audio guides to Walt Disney World now on sale if you buy a five-pack of all the audio guides on CD. Also be sure and check the blog for our three-day Disney charity auctions going on now until July 11th, where all proceeds are going to go to the American Red Cross for Japan Relief. There you'll also find out more about our Disney Book Club. We're currently reading Pirates of the Caribbean, The Price of Freedom by A.C. Crispin. And be sure and stay tuned to Twitter and Facebook for more information about July and August Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World, as well as DisneyMeets.com. Big thanks to all my sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. They are, as you know, my official and recommended travel provider. Becky and her team of agents not only give you the best possible prices and discounts, but the amazing level of personal service that is their hallmark. You can find a link on the website or visit them over at MouseFanTravel.com. And when you're coming to Walt Disney World, maybe you want a house or a condo with your own private pool or spa, kitchen, game room, multiple master bedrooms, lots more. If so, go check out our friends over at allstarvacationhomes.com. And on your next visit, be sure and head to Downtown Disney and Bongo's Cuban Cafe for lunch or dinner. They've got great Cuban cuisine, live music and dancing on Friday and Saturday nights, indoor and outdoor seating, three bars, an express window, Lots more. You can check them out again in downtown Disney or online at bongoscubancafe.com. And one of my favorite places to stay when I go to Walt Disney World is over at the Swan and Dolphin. You know I love and I talk about the heavenly beds, the incredible food at Blue Zoo and Shula's and the Fountain and so much more. They've also got the Mandara Spa. Lots more located right in the heart of Walt Disney World. Check them out over at swananddolphin.com. And as always, my friends, if you like the show... Please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Share the link on Facebook and please come by. Review the show and the WW Radio and Walt Disney World Trivia app over in iTunes. Those are all very much appreciated, very helpful. And of course, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, I want to sincerely thank you again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week to every father or father-to-be I want to wish you the happiest of Father's Day and remind you to enjoy that time with your family. And if your dad is still with you, no matter how old you are, it's okay to go over, give him a hug, and tell him that you love him. So until next week, remember, start pursuing your passion and follow your dreams. It is never too late. And when you do, 
always keep moving forward. Thanks again for listening, everybody. See ya. Hey, Lou. This is Heather from Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, my sister and I are driving to the Smoky Mountains right now and listening to your latest podcast all about the different dining options at Disney World. We're going in August, and I'm so excited to go. Can't wait to uh, live it up. And I really hope that you're going to be doing some meet and greets when when we're there because I'd love to meet you. Anyway, I love your show. I listen to it all the time in my power walks around Nashville, and uh, you always brighten my day. Have a great day. Bye. Hi, this is William Doty Watson, Jr., and I was wish, wanted to call to wish all the fathers out there a magical Father's Day. Have a good day. Hi, Lou. Jen Tremley from Bristol, Connecticut. I just got finished listening to show number 226, Top 10 Restaurants in Walt Disney with the Best Ambiance. Um, I love it. Um, when you guys do the top tens, and I, I pretty much had to agree with uh, both your list as well as uh, Bananas Foster's uh, list, um, because uh, all the restaurants you mentioned are definitely um, top tens in, in my book and, and most of my favorites um, at Walt Disney World. And I just wanted to uh, put a little shout-out to uh, Tim. I do remember the pasta piazza or whatever over in the uh, Epcot area and Future World where now the character greeting is. Um, so I just wanted to let him know uh, he's not crazy. I do remember it. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to say hello and um, just getting ready to uh, pick up my parents from the airport this this coming uh, weekend. They're down in the, in the world right now. Um, so anyway, just uh, thanks again for everything you do, Lou, and I look forward to hopefully meeting you one day. Great show this week. Keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Yeah.